Even as we've gone through this, I hope that you've seen repeatedly over and over again that we're about Jesus. And as we've talked about that, I've asked you, are you willing to be a part of that? Do you want to commit yourself to be a part of this body? Do you want to bind yourself in relationship with us? Alright, so if you're here for the first time, you haven't been here like in you know the last four weeks, we've been going through this, okay? So please listen along, but, but don't feel like, oh, what is he talking about, okay? So um, just kind of go with us, listen. Uh, you'll understand what we've been talking about. But relationships uh, are primary. They're, they're foundational here at Livingstone. If you look at our mission statement, it's about being and making disciples that are in relationship with Jesus Christ. Our vision statement that I went through for a couple weeks, it's about restoring these relationships, right? That we have with Jesus Christ and that we have with each other. Our lives, our culture, these statements, our mission statement, our vision statement are lived out in relationship. We started last week talking about those different types of relationships. And I showed you the, uh, the triangle here. And these relationships are lived out in three different directions. You can see the at the top, pointing up. First and foremost is our relationship with Jesus Christ, that we're gospel-driven. Our vertical relationship. That's where we begin. That's where we start. And then, if we're gospel-driven, then you can see we'll be church-centered. Those are our relationships in the body with each other. Those that are gospel-driven. So if we're gospel-driven, we'll also be church-centered. And we'll have these relationships in with each other. But if we're gospel-driven, it doesn't start, stop with just those relationships in. right? We'd also have relationships out with our neighbors. We'd be neighbor-focused, loving those, proclaiming Christ, demonstrating Christ, loving our neighbors that are around us. All right? So those are the directions of the relationships in, in which we live out this mission, in which we seek this vision that we're about. And as I've taught through these, we can pick a lot of different passages. I will promise you that it's throughout scriptures, this idea of up and in and out. But we focused on 1 Peter. And we'll continue in 1 Peter today as we finish up. And we'll actually get to the second chapter of 1 Peter, where we get this name Livingstone. And that Peter is going to describe the Livingstone. And here we're going to describe that we're going to be like Livingstones. And so we're going to get to that as we think about the relationships of gospel-driven, church-centered, and neighbor-focused. Everybody with me? All right. So, last week we started, let me just give you a brief review of this idea of the gospel and the being gospel-driven. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. We started there. And it says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for y'all. That's for you, Ashley. I got it right this time. 
Last week I told you guys I was going to read it in perfect southern English so we'd understand the, the you, singular, and the y'alls, plural. And then I just, I just read it. I was, I was ashamed that I did that. So I'll try and get that right from now on. I had to confess to my mama back home. But um, anyway, so y'all, right? It says, in heaven for, not, not me, not just me, but y'all. He's talking to the church, us, as a body, as a family. And what we see in this passage is that the gospel puts us in process, right? We were born again through the gospel. That's the past. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we've come to this place where we've been born again. And then it says we have this hope through the gospel for the future. So the gospel has brought us in a process. We're born again in the past and we have this hope for the future. But then in this meantime, in this process or in the presence, we're still to be gospel-driven. The gospel is our focus. All of our lives. All of y'all's life should be a response to the gospel. He says, let all of your thinking, all of your doing be because of and connected to the gospel. And so last week we focused. Well, if we're gospel-driven, then we should be church-centered, right? If we're gospel-driven, if everything we're about, everything is connected to the gospel, then first and foremost, we're going to be church-centered in these relationships through the gospel we have the ability to love each other in the church through the gospel we grow in our skill to love each other in the church through the gospel we are family living together in intense and intentional relationships with each other, loving one another. Because of the gospel. Through the gospel. All of us, whether you think, well, I am not good at relationships, or whether you're just great at relationships, through the gospel, all of us, if we're gospel-driven, right, we have this supernatural ability to love one another. God has placed that in us. God has given us that power, that ability to love one another. We all have the ability to be church-centered. Whether you feel it or not. Because it's not going to be you doing it. It's going to be God doing it through you. But we have to train. We have to experience that. We have to practice that. And we do that in relationships. We do that in relationships with each other. And if we're not in relationships with each other, we're not going to experience and we're not going to grow in that ability to love one another. We're just not. And so if we're gospel-driven, then we should be church-centered and walking in those relationships as a family. So that's one half of the triangle. But it doesn't stop. Them. If we're gospel driven, we'll be church centered. But if we're gospel driven, then we'll be neighbor focused as well. We would be both. And so what we're going to do today is see how as God brings us together as a family and we have these relationships with each other, He wants us to walk in relationships 
with our neighbors. He wants us to walk in relationships as we represent Christ to our neighbors and as we proclaim Christ to our neighbors. If we're gospel-driven, God will build us together to be neighbor-focused. So I hope you hear that, right? If we're gospel-driven, God will build us together in to be neighbor-focused. All right? All three, we're going to walk through that today and we're going to see that in 1 Peter 2, verse 2 through 5. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 through 5. It says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right, so again, the big idea, being gospel-driven, builds us together to be neighbor-focused. We're going to walk through this phrase by phrase, that passage, and we're going to see that statement realized and we start with verse 2 and he tells us this strange thing like now like newborn infants he says long for this pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation and I'll just tell you up front straightforward this pure spiritual milk okay, as you look at this in the context he is talking about the gospel Long for this gospel. Long for Jesus Christ. Long for the person of Jesus Christ. Long for the work of Jesus Christ. This is what we're after. This is what we're to be about. And then he gives this illustration of a baby. Of an infant. Longing for milk. And I remember in school before I went out to actually work with people in the hospital you had to learn about people and study about people about humans and I remember we first learned reflexes and these, these reflexes that, that have been put in us that we, we almost can't help we, were, we, were, we respond that way when we get certain input or stimuli we respond a certain way and I remember going to the, the NICU, the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. And I remember seeing these tiny babies for the first time. Right? This was before I was married. This was before I had kids. And I remember we had this list of reflexes and we were supposed to test them for these reflexes and to see if they had these reflexes. And one of the most amazing ones is called a rooting reflex. And what that means is that a baby can be laying there, they can be days old, they can be brand new, newborn, and you do this to their cheek, and the baby goes, ah, ah. Right? You do it to the other side, the baby's like, ah, ah, ah. Right? They're like, there's got to be food. Where there's that happening to me, there's food. Okay? And then you get married, you have babies, you realize that over and over again, okay? This is what they do. They say, ah, ah. They're just rooting. It's, just, it's, it's, it's part of who they are. It's a reflex that they have. 
And I would say that we have a gospel reflex like that in us. Okay? We know that there is something inside of us that is broken. There is something that we need, something outside of ourselves. And we are we're looking for that. We desire that. We want that. And what he's saying here is as you desire that, the thing that we're to seek after, the thing that we're to desire, is the gospel. This desire, this need that you have inside of you, the answer to that, the need is the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. And he gives this picture of a baby, an infant, longing to be fed. Do you guys know what that sounds like? You hear that and you're like, oh, somebody help the baby, somebody please. Like, give that baby what he wants. Give that baby what she needs. And I promise you it's louder than that. It wasn't quite as dramatic as I hoped it would be. But if we're born again, right? If we have this newness of life, then we should, as an infant, desire, like, I need more of this gospel. I want more of Jesus Christ. I should be longing for Him and looking for Him and, and waiting for Him and I know that I have this need for Him. I'm in desperate need for Jesus. Just as a baby is in desperate need for that milk. Desperate need for me to grow, for me to develop. I need to keep coming back to and keep desiring Jesus. And we literally grow up in our salvation as we continue in the gospel. As we come back to the gospel. As we remember what we are, that we're sinful. And we remember who He is, that God is holy and perfect and mighty and just. And we remember what Jesus Christ has done. That He has loved us. That He has taken our place. And that now through Jesus Christ, we can be in relationship with our Father. Over and over and over again. We should come back to that. We should realize that. We should desire that. Do you still long for Jesus? Do you still realize that you need Jesus? Not that I came to this point back in the past, but right now in the present, that I, I still need Jesus. I still need the Gospel. I am desperate for it. I need Him to grow. I need Him to develop. The gospel is not a one-time exchange. It's not something that was just for the past, but it is for the present and it will be for the future. And it's not just that we know about the gospel. It's not just that we have that information in our head. It's not that we could actually share it with somebody with words, but it's that we have experienced the gospel. I've experienced what it's like to come to Jesus Christ. I've gotten this taste 
of Jesus. And I, and I remember what it felt like. And I remember understanding that place where I re- uh, He has paid the price for me. I am with Him. It's by grace. It says next, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So we're to come to Him, we're to grow up in Him, we're to long for the Gospel. And then it says, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you've experienced that, right? That you've actually tasted Jesus Christ. That you've tasted that milk of the Gospel. Because if you've tasted it, right? If you've experienced that, you're going to want more. Think about it. With our bellies. My nephew, Lucas. If you guys have met Lucas, and you've either even opened the freezer, even much more, if you just take the top off of the ice cream carton, Lucas runs to you. He can't say Theo yet, but he's saying it, right? Please, please. Because his dad, for better or for worse, gave him this early taste of ice cream. And so because he's tasted this ice cream, like you can't get close to him, you can't be in the same room, you don't dare mention the word, then he's at you and asking for it, and I want some more. Because he's experienced ice cream, and he says, that's pretty good, I want more of it. And you guys think, well, that's just Lucas. But I can tell you a story that my wife, when she went to Austin, Texas, all right, if you go to Austin, you know you have to have barbecue. She stood in line. Whoops. So here's the line. She's there visiting her sister because her sister had a baby. But she's able to go out and get barbecue. And so this is in Austin, the little trailer over there. They set up every day and they cook, they prepare the barbecue. And these people, including my wife, wait in line for hours. I mean hours. Three to four hours. Because you have to get there that early in the morning so when they start serving it at lunchtime that you're actually in line and you receive it because if you wait too late, it's going to be gone. They only make so much each day and you've got to wait. Now look at the picture before. This is what you're waiting for. Now if you don't know anything about barbecue, I'm sorry. But, but this coloring, and you see the, 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 the black around the outside, and then the pink, and then the brown, like, this is amazing stuff. This took care to prepare. And so she's waiting in line, and she gets closer and closer. The line starts to move, and she gets where she can see the trailer, and she's almost there. And so what do they do? They start to give her a taste. This guy comes through and he's got these different cuts of meat and he lets you have a little taste of each. He says, I want you to have just this taste. Okay, Nidia gets the taste. And then Mariana was in, was in line with you. Right, so she gets double taste. Okay. And they start tasting the brisket. And they start tasting the, the ribs. And what happens to my wife? She says, I want more. I want a lot. 
right? And then she gets up to the counter and she buys more barbecue than they could possibly eat during their entire trip, right? They wrap it up, they take it home, she buys a, so much of this and so much of the brisket and so much of the ribs, like she just, she overbought, okay? But she had this taste, they gave her this taste and she's like, I want more of that. I need more of that. I mean, what, what's going to happen if I'm still here and we've run out of barbecue? Do you guys get the illustration? If we've experienced that. Now I can tell you about that and that, well, that's, that's really cool. But if you have experienced barbecue, then you might be willing to wait in line and you might be, you might just want to get your own taste because you've experienced it. Think about your first taste of Jesus. We get real excited about barbecue. Remember what it was like to have that first taste of Jesus Christ, to experience Him for the first time. When you realize the truth of the gospel and you realize that that applies to me and that I can have what He's giving we need to repeatedly come back to him we need the gospel for every part of our lives we need the gospel for now for the present as we're in process we actually need it for our nourishment we need it to continue on and we have to go back again and again so ask yourselves, when was the last time you guys, anybody here, skipped a meal? Maybe you've skipped a meal this week. Did you skip an entire day of meals? Several days in a row? But how many times do we skip and do we miss tasting Jesus, going back to Jesus, coming back to the gospel? How many times do we miss coming back and spending time with Him and communing with Him and remembering the gospel again and again? Like, we don't forget food. We, don't, we know we need that nourishment. And I would tell you, we need the gospel in the exact same way. We should long for it. We should desire it. If we've gone so much time without it, we're like, oh, I need the gospel. I'm feeling weak. I need Jesus. But I think our culture, and I would say the church culture, in some ways, this is what I've understood, or this is what's been taught, is that, well, you've got this initial taste, right, of Jesus in the past. And now having this taste, you're just going to wait for the future. You're just going to wait for heaven when you're going to enjoy Him fully, when you're going to know Him fully. So you got this little taste, now we're just waiting for the future. You'll be in complete relationship with Him later. So for right now, just live a more moral life. Just focus on what you're doing and what you're not doing. Don't focus on Jesus, right? You'll have Him more later. That, that's what I'm afraid that we've taught in this relationship that we have with Jesus. Like, we had this taste, but wait for the feast. And there's nothing in between. And we turn from Jesus and we focus on something else. Or in the church we know we'll, we'll fully represent Jesus Christ. 
in this kingdom to come, right? We looked at God's vision of the church. We looked at God's vision of all of these, the, the people of nations and, and, and tongues and tribes. And we say, we can't, that's not for now, that's for later. And I would say, no, we're supposed to do that now. We're supposed to, if we were to walk in the gospel, if we were to be gospel driven as a church, then we would have a church that was multi-ethnic, that was multi-class, that was multilingual. Instead, we just said, well, you'll have that later. So now gather with the people that look the most like you and to think like you and that you're the most comfortable with. And just try and get along. We've neglected the pure spiritual milk. We've neglected the gospel if we're doing that. And I would tell you that we're malnourished. Like we're not developing the way that God intended us or created us to develop. And that we're presenting Christ in an unattractive way. In a way that doesn't represent Him. We don't know Jesus any more than when we first met Him. And we don't look like Him any more than when we first came to Him. But to change that, we have to go back to the gospel. To change that, we have to continue to long for the gospel. We have to come back to this pure spiritual milk. We have to go back to the gospel repeatedly over and over again. And God would change us in this process. Because the answer is, is we have to leave behind our pride and we have to leave behind our arrogance and we have to long for Him. If we long for Him, we'll come to Him, we'll grow in our relationship with Him, we'll grow in our representation of Him. Because if we come to Him, He's going to build us up. Alright? If we're gospel-driven, if we come to Him, then He's going to build us up. Look at verse 4. As we come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So this is talking about the living stone. This is talking about Jesus Christ. If you read through the passage later, you'll see that He is the cornerstone, right? He's the foundation. He's what every other stone rests on. And He is living. Jesus came and He walked amongst us. He put on flesh. And He was crucified. He was buried. But yet He rose again. He's still living. He is still the living stone. And He has power. He was rejected by men. But He was chosen and precious in God's sight. God says, I have a purpose for you. God used Him for His glory and for His purposes. And so it says, you yourselves, all y'all, like living stones. So Jesus is the living stones. And I say, now y'all, we're to be like living stones. And so let me just give you descriptions of that. And I just want to read. These are things that, that are on the website. I would encourage you to read them later. But I just want to read what that looks like. 
if we are, if we're living. It says we are living. We have received new life through the power of the gospel. We, the church, us, we are not an organization, but instead a family. We are not a place or location, but instead the body for the living Spirit of God. That's what it means for us to be living. And then if we're these living stones, then we're chosen and we're precious as well, right? Just like Jesus Christ. We're like living stones, so not only are we living, but we're chosen and we're precious. So let me read a description of that. We are unique and different. Not all the same, or even trying to be the same. From the world's perspective, our differences are too great and should prevent us from joining together to accomplish anything. However, God has chosen us, and through the power of the gospel, He breaks down the barriers of language, ethnicity, class, and age as we seek together to fully proclaim and demonstrate Jesus Christ. We have many differences, but we are united by the gospel. So we're living, we're chosen and precious. And then we're stones. Stones are used for building. Let me explain. We are stones like Christ for God's purposes and the work that He wants to do through us. He has chosen us not because of our value, not because of our shape or our usefulness, but for His glory. Individually, a single stone serves a limited purpose but strategically placed together with other stones by the master builder, we can realize our true purpose and proclaim the amazing love of the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. We're living, we're chosen and precious, and we're stones used for building. And he's building us together. But what's he building us as? It says in the next part of the passage, we're being built up as a spiritual house. Together, through the gospel, we are being built together as a spiritual house. And you might say, what in the world is a spiritual house? This word, a general understanding of it means family. It's used as family in other places. We're this spiritual extended family. And God is building us up as that. He's building us up as this household or as this family, right? And these are people that are related and people that are unrelated. These are individuals that are single and individuals that are married and have a family. These are individuals from multiple generations. But they're living together on mission 
because of the inheritance that they have through the blood of Jesus Christ. They may not be family by blood, but we're family by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's like, I brought you together now. You're my sons and you're my daughters. I'm making this family and I'm bringing you in. So as you come to me, as you're gospel driven, I'm going to bring you in and I'm going to build you up. And just like I'm a living stone, now you are a living stone. And I have a purpose for you. And I have a purpose for y'all together. It's an extended spiritual family. And then we function. But what are we supposed to do? And I think you can understand what we're supposed to do by our design. Because we're to be neighbor focused. He's built us up. Look at the next part of the verse. To be a holy priesthood. He's built us up together into this spiritual house, into this family, to be a holy priesthood. What does that mean? Did you realize that you're a priest? Priests intervene for man on behalf of God. And they intervene for God on behalf of man, right? They're this intercessor in between God and man, what? Keeping this relationship, right? Allowing a relationship between God and man. That's what a priest does. What have we been talking about? We're to restore these relationships. We're to be reconciled and reconciling. We have this ministry of reconciliation. We're restoring these relationships. We're priests. On behalf of our neighbors. On behalf of those that don't know God. We're seeking to restore those relationships. And notice it doesn't say priests. It says priesthood. We're joined together. We're operating together. We're serving together. We're loving together. We are not individual priests. We are a priesthood, right? He's brought us together as a family to be a holy priesthood. We're not on our own as we intercede, as we reconcile these relationships. A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And I just for a moment, this is spiritual, right? He was built us into a spiritual house, a spiritual family, and now we have this spiritual sacrifices. And I don't want to leave out because we are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit to work within us and work through us. If God has placed the Spirit in us, then the only way that we can be a spiritual household, a spiritual family, is if the Holy Spirit works in and through us. You're not going to love each other without the Holy Spirit. And the only way that we can make these sacrifices is in and through the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's not directly said here, but if you understand that, we know that, that that's true and we need the Holy Spirit to work in and through us to be able to do these things that God has designed us to do. But he says to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Now think about where were sacrifices made. Sacrifices were made in the temple. What are we now? 
He just said, we're the spiritual house of God. We're the household of God. It used to be made in the temple. Now these sacrifices are being made in the household of God, in this extended spiritual family. Together, we're making sacrifices. That's where it's going to occur. And these sacrifices, in line with the priests, they were being made so that people could have a relationship with God. Right? The sacrifice had to be made so that God would be appeased and so that they could have a relationship with Him. It was a non-stop, never-ending process. The sacrifices had to continue, and the sacrifices had to continue, and the sacrifices had to continue. They were always happening, always occurring. And now he says, in the temple, in the household of God, we're to be making these sacrifices on behalf of our neighbors. So do you think that those sacrifices for our neighbors have to be never-ending and non-stop? Wait, so, wait, wait. But Jesus made the once and ultimate sacrifice. We don't have to sacrifice anymore. But yet here Peter is telling us that we're to, we've been built up as a house now to make these sacrifices. And I would say, yes, that it should be continuous. It should be ongoing. Just as the sacrifices were then, we continue to make these sacrifices. Not so that we can have relationship with God, but on behalf of our neighbors. On behalf of those around us. On behalf of the other. We're going to sacrifice. We're the temple. We're the household of God. And we're going to continue to do that so that they would have the opportunity to know God. And this is our sacrifice. We continue in that. It's non-stop. And then it says, sacrifices were made. They were acceptable. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. At that time, sacrifices required the giving of life. And I would tell you now, for these sacrifices that we're making on behalf of God for our neighbors, I think that we are to continue to sacrifice our lives. We're the sacrifice. We're sacrificing our lives. What does that look like? It looks like love. You before me. My neighbor before me. I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to forsake myself. I'm supposed to love them, them before me. That's the sacrifice that we're making. And we're called to make that sacrifice together. It's a sacrifice of love. And you might say, well, that's, that's too simple. And I would say, but that is extremely difficult. And how do we choose something so difficult? How do we sacrifice ourselves for others? How do we sacrifice ourselves for our neighbors? And I would say that the only way we can do that is the passage ends is through Christ. We're to make, to offer these spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ, through Jesus. The only way we can sacrifice our lives for others is because He sacrificed His life for us. And so as we finish up, I want to play a song. It's a song that we sang once before, uh, but we're going to listen to it um, through an MP3. 
And the words are going to go on the screen. And so as we consider being gospel-driven, as we consider that God has brought us together as a household to make these sacrifices, this sacrifice of love on behalf of our neighbor, the only way we're going to do that is if we focus on the sacrifice and the love that Jesus Christ has made for us. And so I want you to listen to this song. I want you to consider this song. And I want you to think about how Jesus Christ has loved you.
So my hope is that that would give us an accurate picture of what it means to be gospel-driven. If Jesus Christ is first, that he's, he's behind everything that we do, then we're going to die to ourselves. It's not going to be about us. It's not going to be about me. It's going to be about those next to me in the church, and it's going to be about the neighbors that God has called me to be in relationship with. And the only way we can do that, the only way that we can live together as a family, is if we continue to long for the gospel. And the only way that we can continue to make that sacrifice and love our neighbors is if we long for the gospel. Being gospel-driven grows us together to be neighbor-focused.